Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. I learned over the weekend not to turn on my microphone prematurely because it will shock your ears, but I still shocked your ears somehow. Good morning and welcome to day three of the Freedom Weekend. Uh, I think I've got till five o'clock this afternoon, is that right? And so hopefully you guys brought some loaves and fishes or something to eat with you. If not, at least one person did, we're gonna be fine. So um, anyway, we did have a great weekend together and I know not all of you guys were there. I think twice you've been asked to raise your hand if you were there, so I'm not gonna make you do that again. But I also know there's some people with us this morning who were not with us. And so, and I'm assuming there are some places who've not heard Polly or I speak before. Anyone here who's not heard us speak before? So good to have you guys here. And now you can't say you haven't heard me speak because I'm speaking and your ears are listening. So I could be done now and you couldn't raise your hand the next time I ask that. But um, anyway, so we've got some time together this morning and spent some time because really the weekend was pretty structured for us. And we had some certain ideas about where we wanted to go with that and then submitted that to the leadership and Dana gave a thumbs up and said, yes, tweak this, do a little bit more of this, do more of that. She didn't say anything. She said, go with it as it was. So tons of freedom that you guys give us. Also tons of honor. We really feel the sense that when we come here, you guys have your arms wide open, your hearts wide open. And so we're grateful for that. We don't ever take that for granted. We know that um, we, don't, we, can't, we can't presume on your trust. And so we, every time we come, we wanna handle you guys with care and love and bring whatever it is that we know to bring. And also, as Joel said, continue to build bridge in relationships. So grateful for that, grateful for you guys, and just grateful to spend some time worshiping with y'all. Um, I, I would love to just pray and jump in if that's okay. So we... We had talked about what I might speak about this morning at about five o'clock this morning. I think I came to get the rest of it. Uh, all but one piece, and this is kind of funny. <clears throat> I, I had the, the pieces of what I wanted to talk about, but I never know quite how I'm gonna get started. And while I'm during worship, the Lord has given me some real clarity about the beginning place today. And then Joel got up and took it. <laughs> so you'll see in just a couple minutes, like we're hearing the same thing. So that tells me that we're, in the same atmosphere, and I love that. So that means everybody else is probably hearing, sensing that God is getting ready to help us move closer to that. You guys don't need to see that. So, um, all right, let's pray together. <laughs> Lord, there's so much joy in your presence. And whether we started our day that way or we just find ourselves finally receiving enough that we can smile for the first time today. Wherever we are in that journey, we just want to acknowledge that in your presence, there's more than we can imagine. But Lord, this morning, expand our imagination. Let us hope for more. Let us ask for more. Let us think in ways that we hadn't thought of before. And in so doing, let us see things we'd never thought about seeing and think things we'd never thought about thinking. And in the midst of all that thinking and seeing and doing, Lord, let us finally be more of who you created and redeemed us to be. There's peace in your presence. There's joy in your presence because there's an assurance that you've been in charge from the beginning. You're in charge today. You'll be in charge for all of eternity. 
And as Joel said so clearly, your love for us is immense, profound, deep, wide. I feel like there's a song there somewhere, but I'm not going to break out in song. Let's just finish the prayer by saying in Jesus' name. Why do I hear songs everywhere? So um, let me just say, uh, today I want to talk about spiritual growth. And some of the stuff I'm going to talk about with you guys today, I've never spoken about from a platform before. Some of it's just been conversation between Polly and I. Some of it's just been conversation in here. And so this is relatively fresh, as in since five o'clock this morning. And the place I want to start is I want to just mention this very important shift, and that is Christianity is a belief system based on a worldview that most Americans don't actually hold. Right? There's, a, there's a web of beliefs that make up this thing called what Jesus left behind for us as people. And all of those beliefs in that belief system were designed in a worldview that's much more Eastern, much more spiritual, and I'm gonna use this word in particular, much more integrated than Westerners typically think. We as Westerners don't even realize because it's what we've been raised in, it's the way our mind has already, always worked. But one of the reasons I wanna emphasize that is because, because we have that Western worldview, when we talk about anything at all, and especially when we talk about spiritual things, we imagine a separateness that doesn't really exist. See? We, we believe that we're separated from God and in our minds we are. And the problem is if it's in our minds that we are, our minds tell us what's real. You'd be shocked at how much you, uh, you obey your mind. You really can't help but obey your mind because it is the driver's seat of your soul. And so if your mind believes it, true or not, you will follow it. You will believe it because your mind is the picture that you look at that tells you things are real. So we imagine a separateness in so many places where it is not. We imagine a line between me and you. That when God looks, you know, in 1 Corinthians 5, 17, where it says old things have passed away, new things have come. Behold, there's a new creation that's actually a term that doesn't mean I'm just a new creation. It means we are a new creation. We are the, the field, kind of the new moment where there's a creation in Genesis 1 and 2 where God's creating the heavens and the earth and ultimately the human race. He's recreating the human race. So it's not just that I'm new, we are new. And there's not a separateness between Joel and I like we would imagine. We are part of something bigger than ourselves. And here's the, here's the best one. This is one that you mentioned. There's not a separateness between God and I. It's not a separateness between you and your creator like we might imagine. The mind sets up all kinds of barriers and because we obey our mind, we believe it and obey it, then we act as if, live as if, feel as if, sense as if there's this separateness there and we somehow have to strive to get to the other side of the separateness that we might finally you know, crack open the door a little bit and get a drop of what he has and he's like, dude, dude S, I'm... I'm so close, all you have to do is inhale and exhale. I was thinking this while we're sitting there. I thought, you know, there's this moment in the book of Matthew where it talks about the moment that Jesus breathed his last breath. And in that moment, the veil in the temple was split in two. And the thought that I had was, who created the veil? Uh, you hear all the stories about it and how many inches thick it was, but really, ultimately, it was man's idea and man's handiwork to put a veil between the holiest place and where we stand. 
So who invented the veil? We did. Started in the mind of a man and manufactured a reality that stood between a place and where we stand. And we honored that reality because we could see the veil and we could imagine that there's a separateness. When Jesus on the cross ultimately said it's finished, God did his invention and his invention is let's take that separateness and make it what it really is anyway. There's nothing between us and him. That's not bad news, that's good news. It is, as Joel said, it's, it's the imagination of our mind that keeps us separate from him because we imagine that our badness is separate from his goodness instead of a, a receptacle for his redemptive love. The deeper our badness goes, the more of his goodness he's available to give. That's what Romans 5 and 6 tells us. And so we also imagine a separateness, and this is where we're headed today. So we imagine a separateness between one another that we in the Western world have perfected, right? We, we stand in elevators as if there's 18 of us in there. <laughs> and we, we live as if it's 18 different nations. Right? And yet we're all really kind of in this thing together. We imagine a separateness between us and God as if somehow there's this spiritual world that someday we're going to get to, but right now we live on a planet with like ground and chairs and pews and tables and microphones, and we live on this planet that someday we're gonna finally attain the spiritual realm. There's not really separateness there either. But here's the other thing. This is, like I said, where I want us to camp today. There's not really a separateness inside you. You know, we talk about all kinds of different, and that's what I'm gonna talk about today. I'm gonna, in a moment, I'm gonna talk about your spirit, your soul, and your body, and what that has to do with your spiritual growth and your transformation process, your sanctification process, if we wanna use the scriptural word. But I wanna talk about that, but we imagine as if somehow spirit, soul, and body are separate and have these kind of, over here, I'm doing my spirit thing, here, I'm doing my soul thing, and here, I'm doing my body thing. And we imagine the separateness, almost imagine this for a moment, if somehow you could really believe that your stomach, your heart, and your muscles were separate from you. We know they're not. Though sometimes it feels like it, right? Sometimes I feel like my muscles are still catching up. You know, I'm already up here and my muscles are going, there's stairs there, Bob. <laughs> but there's not a separateness on the inside of us either. And part of what that means is if Jesus lives inside of me and Jesus lives inside of you, he's not off in a corner somewhere going, hey, 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 did you notice that? He's as integrated with you as is your stomach, your heart, and your, your muscles, your cells. I love that we took communion today, Stephen. I love your, your kind of fostering us into that unique. It's not just about uh, forgiveness from the past, but it's about the reality that Christ lives in us. And if Christ lives in us, that means, imagine those who came down and took communion, by now, both that wafer and that juice, or was it wine? I couldn't really tell. There was so little of it in there. But whichever one it was, right? A little half and half. It's, it's a very good vintage. Vintage 2023. But that wafer and that juice are already working its way through your digestive system and into the alveoli of your intestine. I hope I got that right. If not, that's just an Italian dish. 
but I, I think that's the little fingers in your intestines. Somebody here probably knows that and will tell me later. And through those little fingers in your intestines working its way into your bloodstream and from your bloodstream, that's working its way into your cells. What you ate 20 minutes ago is already becoming part of you. And if Christ is in you, he's not off here in your left shoulder somewhere. He's not only in your cognitive process, he's in your cells. There's, we imagine a separateness there that somehow the imagination of that separateness cripples us from the experience of the fullness and the power of the hope of Christ in us. But it's so not separate. And the more we can take down the veil of our mind or the more we can allow him to take down the veil of our mind and let him show we are not two but one. We are not a group of individuals but we are family. We're not just family, but we're family in the presence of not just our creator, but our redeemer who's come inside to make our lives new. And inside, when we talk about body, soul, and spirit in a few minutes, well, those things aren't separate. They're all part of a whole that allows us to operate in an integrated, complete way where the Christ who's in us is also in my health and in my cognition and in my relationships my, my decision-making processes, he's not just informing me, he's empowering those things. He's not just giving me input that I can think about and decide about. He is the force behind the things that I do and he is the force that completes the things that we all do. And when we begin to drop that veil of separateness, we can start to experience more of what's already yours to experience. It's not something you have to go attain. It's something he's trying to help you release. It's in you today. So let's look at First Thessalonians. <laughs> I shouldn't. This is, a, this is a book in the New Testament. I revere both Old and New Testament, but it just always feels to me like the Daffy Duck book. For Thessalonians. If, if that's bothersome to you, I apologize, but it's too late. I can't take it back. Paul's been telling his friends in Thessalonica, I'll say it right from now on, I promise. Paul's been telling his friends in Thessalonica, kind of giving them kind of his admonitions in the very last chapter, he's giving them kind of instruction after instruction. And it's kind of like, you know, when you're leaving you know, the kids home by themselves and you're walking out the door going, oh, and don't forget to unload the dishwasher. Oh, and by the way, you know, make sure your brother doesn't eat worms. And oh, by the way, put everybody, you're giving those last minute instructions. Paul's giving those instructions. And the very last thing he says is he says uh, in chapter five, verse 23, now may God, the, the God of peace himself, sanctify you entirely. May your spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love that. I love so many things about that because part of what I love about that is I don't think Paul, like us, thinks of those as three separate things. It's just three ways to refer to the human being that helps us identify some ways we can engage our own being. And I also love that Paul was very intentional about his sequencing of the language. He says, may your spirit, soul, and body be preserved so you may be presented blameless and complete before Jesus when he shows up. Now, the first thing I wanna tell you about that is I think that sequence is actually the intended design and the one that we so seldom realize is even, even possible to be different than what we're experiencing today. He said, spirit to soul to body. And the first thing I want us to hear about our own growth process, our own sanctification process is 
Often the moment we meet Jesus, and this is very much the Western mindset I was talking about, very much the American thought process, we have lived so much in and from our soul, we don't know anything but that. I'll define all these things as we go. And in fact, specifically for this moment, let me just say our soul, for today's purposes, we'll give kind of a watchman knee definition. Our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. All three of those things are attributes of God's nature that are part of him making us in his, in his image. And so our mind, our will, and our emotions are our soul. And we are so accustomed because we were raised, we were, our, our American education system, our parenting processes, all the things that we've learned growing up are all about telling you to submit your will to something, to use your mind to figure things out, and to figure out what to do with your emotions, either suppress them or you know, bleed them all over or anywhere in between. And so we have lived both from and for our soul. And the moment we meet Jesus, we may not know the difference between our soul and our spirit. And so we often meet Jesus and try to follow him with our soul. And so at that first blush, even before we ever meet Jesus, we typically live in one of two ways besides spirit to soul to body. We either live soul to body and the spirit's kind of off in a corner somewhere, or we live body to soul, and the spirit's off in a corner somewhere. So again, let's define those terms for a minute. Soul is mind, will, and emotion. Spirit is the part of you that's designed for the receive, contain, broadcast thing that we talk about here, right? Receive the breath of God, the spirit of God. The spirit of God is designed to dwell inside of you. It's that connecting, it's the part of you that's designed to be in connection with God. And until you're born again, it's a kind of an empty pocket waiting for the fullness it was made for. And it's why we live from and for our soul until we're born again, because it's all we have. We have a soul and a body. We're born again, and that spirit's made alive for the first time, but because we're so familiar with our soul, and this is one of the great dilemmas of spiritual growth and discipleship. Because Christianity is a belief system based on a worldview that most Americans don't have, our worldview is defined by the material world and therefore by our soul. Oh, I've just been introduced to Christianity. One of the things we're supposed to do is read this book. So I'll use my mind and exercise my will to read this book and fill my mind. And the spirit's still sitting off in the corner going, hey, what about me? And we're going, what is that weird whisper I'm feeling? Shh, get thee behind me. <laughs> and we're just willing ourselves to do a behavior because we, it's what we know. When all we've known is to operate from the soul, we know how to will ourselves to do things, fill our minds and figure out what to do with our emotions. But Paul says, may your spirit, then your soul, then your body be presented blameless before God. Because when our spirit takes over, it's really designed in such a way that our spirit takes over, runs our soul and runs our body. Let me just quickly say, and I wanna spend some time, this is the part I've never talked about publicly. This is really conversations Polly and I have had over the last four years. I wanna spend some time talking about the sanctification of our bodies. <laughs> I feel kind of weird doing it, but here, here we go. This shows how seldom I talk about it. Uh, but um, probably four years ago, I could go further back than that. When I was a child, but I'm just going back to four years ago. Four years ago, Polly took a picture of me in Lake City, Colorado, sitting in an outdoor piano. I couldn't wait to see it because it's a pretty cool looking, like funky little piano. And most people don't think of me as a piano player. 
Uh, and so I thought, oh, I can't wait to see this picture. Or I actually took video, right? And I looked at the picture and I was like, oh my word, is that me? 253 pounds. And listen, I'm not here to advocate for a diet. I'm not here to advocate for anything except spiritual growth and development. But what I want you to know is when I looked at myself, I immediately realized, listen carefully, my picture of me was not the reality I was living. How I saw myself was not how I was. And you can apply that to spirit, soul, and body. But I looked at that picture at 200. See, I used to tell myself 250 is about what I should allow myself to get to. Then I saw a picture of myself at 250, and I was like, I should never, ever be at 250 ever again. And so I started a journey. We started a journey together. And during that journey, uh, by the, I think it was a year later or two years later, that she took the same picture again and I was 32 pounds lighter. And I looked at that picture and I thought, that's how I pictured myself the first time she snapped the picture. But the important thing isn't 32 pounds. The important thing is the things I came to know about how I was deceived between 253 and 221. I think I might have mathed wrong. It's Sunday, we're not doing math. We're counselors, we don't math. <laughs> but let me read to you something out of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. As a young man, I memorized this verse because it was you know, helping me deal with my thought life. It's a whole different chapter for me now, but 1 Corinthians 6, 12 and 13 says this, all things are lawful for me, I can have a cheeseburger. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. Some translations say beneficial. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. But the body's not for immorality. Here's the key part of that verse. I will not be mastered by anything. Listen, out of my mouth, I say that Jesus is my Lord. But there are some things I was doing to my body through habits that I chose that I knew were destructive, but I chose them again and again and again. Doctors were telling me blood pressure was an issue. I, listen, man, I'm sorry to tell on you. Here's the problem. Here's why I could at 252 not know that I was not looking the way I pictured. When I look in the mirror, guys, you just have to know, we look in the mirror different than women look in the mirror, right? I look in the mirror like this. And my shoulders were still wider than my waist. And I thought, I look good. <laughs> she took the picture from the side. <laughs> and I did not look the same from the side as I did from the, from the front. And suddenly I had a different kind of mirror and I began to see myself more accurately to who I was in that moment. And it was incongruent with who I am on the inside. Here's the other thing you need to know about this. Um, my father died when he was 53. Alcohol, tobacco, marijuana, um, and a completely unmotivated life. No exercise, no caretaking of his body at all. At 53, in a jail cell, he had a heart attack and died. Up until age 53, I wondered how long I would live. And the day after my 53rd birthday, I looked at Polly and said, I made it. I'm 61. And I've got a lot of years left in me, and so do you. 
But part of it for me was there's a generational curse that I had to stand against in some physical ways by making choices about my physical body. And by the way, some of them I didn't like. A couple things I wanna tell you about this part of the journey for me. Number one, the most important thing I learned besides the fact that I was being mastered by some things is this is so important. I misunderstood how to fuel my own body. I fueled myself with any food I could find instead of what my, my, what my body needed. I gave it what it wanted instead of what it needed. And so no wonder I was fatigued and out of energy. Not only was I carrying an extra 30 pounds, but I also was giving my body the wrong kind of fuel. That's something we need to learn both for our soul and our spirit. There is a fuel that we're designed to run by and there's a whole set of fuels that will actually clog your engine. Again, I'm not here to advocate, I'm not here to talk to anybody about your habits or your diet. I'm just telling you, part of the journey is your body is not separate from your soul and your soul is not separate from your spirit. So the other thing about this is, if we talk about receive contained broadcast, that makes me a conduit. That makes this body a temple of the Holy Spirit. So the, the contained part of that is, and the broadcast part of that is, what came in needs something clean to come out of. The more fatigued I was, the less that could pass through me in its pure form. The more sick my body was, the less that could pass through me in its most pure form. And so not only had I learned to fuel my body in the wrong ways, but I also kind of clogged up this part of me, this the contain and broadcast channel. I believe all that stuff. I just was separating my body from my spiritual life and it's not as separate as I'd love for it to be. The last thing I'm gonna say about your, your body, your physical, spiritual growth portion, two, two things about this. <laughs> I say the last thing, then I turn it into two. And two things about each of those and two things about each of those. But I want you to really catch this. While this is true for your body and it makes perfect sense to us, it's equally true for your spirit and your soul and we tend to, we tend to, um, uh, we tend to like send that off to somebody else. <laughs> Nobody can do for your body what you must do for it. Man, if I could hire someone to exercise for me, <laughs> I would find that money somewhere. I would, I would find it somewhere. But I must do what I must do. As much as we are not separate, Joel cannot diet for me. His choices don't impact, impact my physiology. And so where we are separate is, I must make the choices that will make my body be a part of the body, soul, and spirit process that will allow me to present myself. The last thing I wanna say about this, the second of the two things is, the other thing we really need to know about this is part of being mastered by things is recognizing that when we live from body to soul to spirit, what we feed grows. And if you feed your body at the expense of your soul or your spirit, your body grows, and more importantly, your appetites grow. Whatever appetite you feed will increase tomorrow. And that's where I found myself four years ago, is I'd been feeding an appetite that was actually emotional and spiritual. I'd been feeding it with food, and my body was paying a price for it, and so was my spirit. There's a meaningful part of this. And so here's, here's where I wanna land this and turn this into talking about soul and spirit. Um, Well, we must be the ones to make the choice. 
And you will hear me always say the way matters more than the what. Always hear me say that. There is a way to overcome the things that we wrestle with in life. And the way to do that is let the spirit overcome it through your soul, overcome it through your body. I've always said that information plus willpower is humanism and it's not Christianity. But now let me say this. If all you have is willpower to keep from feeding the beast, don't feed the beast. You hear what I'm saying? If in the journey to write this back to where the spirit runs the soul, runs the body, you need to just make a decision today not to eat that, not to do that or to do that. Do that to starve the appetite rather than feed the appetite one more time and make it that much bigger by the time you finally get these things righted. That's a weird way to say that. I feel awkward saying that. I feel like I'm missing something. Next year when I come back, I'll correct myself. But there's something about feeding that appetite. We give in to feeding that appetite, it grows tomorrow. Just because we say to ourselves, I don't know yet how to write this thing to let the spirit run my soul, run my body. I wanna talk to us about spirit and soul now. And I wanna want start with that in a particular way. I've done this here before, but I feel like A, it's been three years. B, some of you guys weren't here. So I wanna get you guys to get involved in understanding the difference between your spirit and your soul for a minute. If you'll do this with me, just raise your right hand. I don't want you to think about this very long. As soon as I give the instruction, I want you to quickly do what I instruct you to do, but I want you to take your right hand, figure out which part of you runs your life, and as quickly as you can, put your right hand on the part of you that runs your life most of the time. (laughs) If you haven't decided yet, put your hand here because you're overthinking. That means your mind runs your life. (laughs) Now, leave your hand there. Wherever you put it, leave your hand there. And I want just a few of you to shout out, when you turn your attention toward where your right hand is, what do you feel? What do you experience? Control. Control. What else? Anxious. What is it? Tense. What else? Pain. That's, That's all we need to know. Most of us run our lives in such a way that the fruit of how we run our lives is tension, anxiety, pain, control. And that what that tells us is that our soul... If you put your hand here, that's your mind. Mind, will, and emotions are your soul. So here's the thing. All of you have a backup plan. Sometimes wherever you put your hand the first time doesn't really work. So raise your hand again without thinking about it too much. I want you to quickly put your hand when the first part doesn't work for you, what part backs you up and makes the decisions and steers your life after that? (laughs) So many jokes go through my mind. All right, now turn your attention toward the place where you've got your hand now, and a few of you shout out where you're, what you feel and experience. Warmth. Say again? Warmth. Warmth, okay, what else? Joy, Joy? what else? Peace? Love. What? Love. Love? Wow, I like where some of you guys have put your hand this time. What else? Wow. That is not Mick Jagger over there. <laughs> half the crowd laughs, half the crowd's like, who's Mick Jagger? <clears throat> I am 61, I told you I made it 61. All right, now I want you to do this one more time. No, two more, two more steps with this. Raise your right hand one more time. Now I don't want you to hurry. I want you to think, and I want you to ponder, and I also want you to ask God, where inside your body you most experience his presence? And as you start to know where inside your body you most experience his presence, just put your hand there and leave it there. 
Now, how many of you feel the room shift when you all do that? Can you feel that? What, leave your hand there. What that is, is that's the reality of seek first the kingdom. You turn your attention to where God is, it changes the atmosphere where you are. Now, those of you who have located the place where God is inside of your body, where you most experience him, just shout out what you experience. Comfort, peace, joy, assurance, what was that? Calm, okay. What is that? Love, warm, okay. You guys hear the difference between number one and number three, right? Fortunately, we're in a mature crowd and many of your number twos already went for where God is inside, right? But between number one and number three, you've got anxiety and fear and control, tension. When we get to number four, you can change the room just by changing what part of you you pay attention to. If you can change the room, you can change your family. If you can change your family, you can change your neighborhood. And it's not because you suddenly come up with a great strategy, it's because you change your attention. Or another way to understand that is you, un- you come to understand what it means to submit the soul to the spirit and the body falls underneath that. So let's take one more step and all I want you to do is this last place where you put your hand, this place where you're aware of God inside of you. I want you to ask, just turn your attention there and just ask what the spirit of God inside of you would say to the first part where you put your hand, the first place you put your hand. And a couple of you just speak it out. What do you hear God say to the first place you put your hand? Submit. Submit. Oh, nice. I'm I'm so close. No separation. Transformed. Nice. Be still. Everything's going to be all right. Bob Marley over here. Nice. All right. Do you guys hear that the restoration of spirit over soul over body is really more simple than just trying to be religious? It's not about taking the steps of spiritual growth specifically. It's about first and foremost, getting things ordered rightly on the inside. Now, that's the ideal way to say no to the beast, to starve the beast. A few minutes ago when I said, if you need willpower to not feed the beast, it's second best. But the ideal is to go, hey, where God is inside of me, would you tell me? I did this exercise with a man who was um, sexually addicted at one point. And he would report to me kind of his progress, trying to have victory over this thing, which is actually not something that I talk about much because victory feels like we're gonna wrestle with it until we wrestle it to the ground. Really, victory is a position we live in, not something we're trying to attain. But every week he'd come and tell me a little bit of improvement. And so one day I said, hey, raise your right hand. And we went through the exercise that you guys just, just did. The next week he came and he said, I didn't act out one time this week. Every time it came to my mind, I just did this. It's the church of put your hand on your chest, right? And the dilemma is it's not the hand on the chest that empowers anything. It's what part of us we allow to run things. Now, let's go back to this idea of spiritual growth. What happens is when we encounter Jesus, we don't have that place inside where peace and calm and redemption and restoration, where it comes from the inside out. We don't have that there before we're born again. And so all we have is our mind, our will, and our emotions. So we encounter Jesus, and we know we surround ourselves with people who are living that life, and we look at what they're doing, 
and we use our soul to do those things. This is where this thing that I say so often is so crucial. The way always matters more than the what. Jesus didn't come to achieve the end. He came to change the means. In the kingdom, there is no such thing as the means justify the end. No, the end justifies the means. Either way, there's no such thing. You've heard that saying before, right? The end justifies the means, which people used to say, because what we're doing is so important, we can do it any old way. And Jesus' intent wasn't to get you to a certain place, but to get you to a certain condition. And that condition is spirit runs soul, runs body. No one can do that for you. And in fact, crazily enough, we're fueling ourselves wrongly because we're fueling ourselves with our soul and wondering why we sputter and run out of gas so often. Wondering why we need another hit of a sermon or another hit of a podcast or another hit of whatever it might be. We're looking for one more thing to kind of bump our emotions up to make it to the next hit. That's not what this life was designed for. You are to the cellular level. There's no separation between you and the Christ who is in you. There is no veil. There is no spoon. Sorry. <laughs> Three people laughed. The, the most lame movie reference I've made since I've been here. But there is no veil. The thing that we imagine with our mind that keeps us from experiencing that reality isn't really there. And when we let the spirit tell our soul that, our soul can go, you mean I can let go of that separateness? See, here's what, and I'm gonna go one last place in the scriptures with you guys. Turn to first, if you're turning, if you're getting an iPhone, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, a very important verse both in my life and for the life of the believer. <clears throat> the restoration of spirit to soul to body begins with the insertion of the person of Jesus into our being. With our opening our heart and the new birth isn't about committing to a path. That's part of what the material belief system tells us. It's not about following a person's creeds. It's about receiving that person into us in the same way that we took this, the body and the blood into us today. It's about receiving his spirit into us, making us alive again for the first time since the garden. And in that, Christ in us is the hope of glory. And what we have to realize, that's not just kind of a great slogan on the wall. There's a reason why he is our hope. There's a reason why he is the fulfillment of all things. And those reasons are kind of outlined for us here as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 130. He's, he's told us up to this point, I'm just gonna read the verse 30 portion, but he's told us up to this point something very important that is, hey, God's choices are not what you'd expect. I said yesterday, logic makes a lot of sense except in two realms that have their own logic. One of them is the central nervous system. The other one is the spiritual realm. And in the spiritual realm, what you're about to hear seems illogical, but it's crucial to our beginning to upend the way that we live our lives in a positive way. So what, what Paul's been telling these poor guys in Corinth, he says, look, God isn't picking the smart, clever, brilliant orators. He's not, clicking, uh, he's not checking the strong, you know, persuasive people. He's, he's picking the weak ones. He's picking the struggling ones. God is out searching for the smallest 
and the most incompetent and the, and the ones who fail the most and the ones who struggle the most. And that's why we talk about, you know, there's grace. Grace doesn't just mean God overlooks your struggles. That means he's at home in your struggles. And he's looking for those, not who have pounded their chest and said, look how well I've done, but for those who stand in front of him and go, I don't think I can do this. That's who he's looking for. That's what Paul's been saying. He chooses the weak to confuse or confound the wise. And then he goes on to say, because of this thing. He's doing it, verse 29, so that no man should boast before God, but by God's doing, here's the, the crux of the whole thing, by God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Let me tell you the most important concept, and then we're gonna look at those four words backwards. The most important concept is not that Jesus gave us those things. Jesus didn't give us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Jesus was those things. Jesus is those things. Paul's not saying, hey, your God in heaven wrote you a blank check and you've got the things you need. He's saying, your God came out of heaven, stepped not only among you, but within you, and became what you are not to the cellular level. And he names four things, wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So I'm gonna take it at redemption and walk us back into where that becomes a reality for us. See, redemption is this. Redemption simply means somebody else had possession and somebody found a way to buy you back and take ownership from the one who stole you. From Genesis three on, somebody else held the deed to our lives. And when the book of Matthew starts, these are the generations of the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to say, look, I'm about to reverse the ownership here I myself will be the price of redemption. I'm not saving up money. I'm not spending cattle on a thousand hills. I'm not getting out my checkbook. I will be your redemption. The price paid to buy you back from the kingdom of darkness wasn't a fee, it was a person. He laid himself out. He pierced his own flesh. No one did that to him. He gave up his own life. And in so doing, he became your redemption. And the next step is, I have to look again, sanctification. Such a, such a good churchy word, right? It just means your freedom journey, your transformation process, your journey from where you are to what's possible. And here's the thing. We look at that and go, oh, there's so much work for me to do. And I've got to do a freedom weekend, then I've got to do the follow-up classes, and I've got to read all Bob's books, and then I've got to read Polly's book and go do through all the study guides. And man, that's just this year. I've got so much work to do. And Jesus says, you're missing the point. I didn't make it available to you. I became it. In the same way that he became the price paid for you, and when you receive him into your cells, he now does in you what you cannot do on your own. He doesn't tell you how to be sanctified. He sanctifies you from the inside out. You know, working out your salvation in fear and trembling doesn't mean I'm so scared I better do this right. It means it's inside of you and we work it out from the inside. All right, so Jesus isn't telling you how to do it. He's not encouraging you to work hard at it. He's not doing it. He came inside of you to go, now let me do what I do. 
I think so often our barrier to spiritual growth is what Paul said to the Galatian church in chapter three. Hey, you Galatian guy. He said, you foolish Galatians. I didn't want to say that. He said, you foolish Galatians. Who's bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified? You received him by faith. Why are you now trying to live it out by works of the law? He came in through faith. Why are you trying to complete it through your own strength? Because he who bought you with his own blood will also complete you through his presence within you because there is no separation. It's not us trying for him, it's him doing in us. So sanctification isn't our journey, it's his journey in us, which then leads to this thing called righteousness. Part of our problem is that righteousness, we believe that righteousness is about how well we can behave. But fundamentally and first off, righteousness is about our standing with God and then how that flows out into the ways that we live and the ways that we think and the ways that we relate. And it may look like behavior, but it starts with a standing on the inside. And Jesus says, now that you've let me be the price that bought you back, and as you're allowing me to be the internal transformation that you can't do for yourself, watch me also become this thing you never thought could be true about you. It's why Paul tells the Corinthians at the very beginning of the chapter that we've been made righteous in him, not will be, not should be, not ought to be, have been. Well, Bob, I'm, I'm not righteous. <laughs> Why, just last night. I'm not righteous. Why, just this week. And here's the dilemma. And by the way, it'd be a great time for the band to be coming up. Because, yeah, it's a great time for the band to start coming up. Here's the dilemma is we spend all this time looking at those things and we can acknowledge those things and we can look and theologically understand, but we separate ourselves from our mind and in our mind we conceive these things and hear the speaker, we read a book and we go, I see those things, but I don't see me as righteous and I don't see me as sanctified. And you know what? You probably don't. I mean, if you're honest, I looked at, I looked at that picture of me at 252 pounds or whatever it was and I had not seen myself rightly but there's one final thing that Paul says that Jesus has made to us and not for us. See, Jesus is the price. He himself pierced his body and gave himself up to buy us back. He entered into our body and soul. It's not separate. He entered in to say, let me do in you what I do when you don't fight against me or try to do it for me. And then he said, and in that place, as you allow me to do that, I am your righteousness. I am your right standing and I am the outflow. I'm the broadcast that came from your receive. And we look and go, yeah, but, yeah, but. Because when I look at me, I don't see that. But there's one final thing that Jesus has been made to us in this particular verse, and it's wisdom. Now, again, we kind of have a mindset about wisdom that's about like how smart we are. But really, the biblical construct is much more about whose eyes we look through. See, if I look through my eyes, I see pews and people. But if I look through his eyes, he sees a family and a body. If I look through my eyes, I see a building and instruments. If I look through his eyes, he sees a place where he wants to come occupy. And if I look through my eyes, I look and I don't see myself as redeemed. I don't see myself as sanctified. And I don't see myself as righteous. But therein lies the problem. My eyes do not see accurately. 
so he also becomes to us a new set of eyes. In this moment, consider that your eyes have been lying to you. And if it helps you, even close them. You don't have to. But Father, would you in these moments more than open the eyes of our heart, would you let us look through our eyes from your vantage point and what I have not been able to see about me and we have not been able to see about us, would you show us if seeing is believing, would you give us a moment to see what you see? You are the price paid for us. You are the path of transformation, the power of transformation, the one who does it in us. You are our right standing and our right living. Show us what you see.